Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. real trouble here, although they're lucky to get that loose ball. Gibbs with the thrust. Robert Jones, nicely out to Emir Lewis. Emir Lewis is shifting up, goes Yayan Evans. Yayan Evans is away. Can the cap, Welsh captain make it? He's going to do it. And it's a try for Wales. And the Welsh captain has scored his eighth and his 33rd Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast, where we are only three red cards away from another Grand Slam, which is something I wasn't anticipating saying this time a fortnight ago. And to celebrate that momentous, uh, this momentous change in fortune, I'm delighted to say we've got an incredibly strong lineup for you on this uh, on this week's episode. We're joined by uh, by the man in form, the mighty Murph. How are you, Murph? Very well, thanks. Yeah. We are joined by the man for the big occasion, and by that I mean he only dips in for the internationals. Daniel Killick, how are you, Dan? Absolutely superb, Jess. Oh, you look a bit stony-faced at that one. Sorry, mate. I forget the three and a half years hard graft you did before you uh, before you started selecting the weeks you wanted to join in. And we, uh, I'm also delighted to say that we are joined by Rugby World's uh, top writer. It is Alan Dimmick. How are you, Al? Yeah, good. I'm glad that you guys could all be here for uh, another rock bottom for, for me as a Scotsman. Uh, I thought 2010 was in the rear view mirror, but the, let's 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 do some therapy, I suppose. Yeah. How how does this compare as a as a Scotsman? How does this compare to 2010? Well, I suppose I suppose the biggest problem in 2010 it was it sort of expected. Then what probably makes this one hurt that little bit more is that I wasn't getting, you know, when people that aren't Scottish were starting to talk about Scotland doing well, I was like, this is, this does not bode well. This is not a good omen. These people aren't Scottish, so they don't know how this goes. And the collective unease at not being an underdog, although actually this is something that we could talk about later really is how much, um, some teams need to be uh, the underdog. And actually, it's a thing that a lot of the teams in the Six Nations thrive on. But Scotland in particular, oh, absolutely disgusted by the idea of being the front runner, And so a lot of nervousness going into this weekend. And after that first half, again, a lot of people that weren't Scottish were saying to me, bloody hell, Scotland are going to do well to throw this one away. And that was, that was it. The writing was on the wall by that point. Um, and then spurning three points under the posts that would have taken mm. Scotland to 20, 20 to eight ahead, which is a horrible um, total to chase. Yeah. Um, that was it. It was all over. Eight minutes into the second half, the, the game was done. This is a fascinating one, actually. I wanna, I'm going to ask you about this, Dan, because I think I know we've chatted about this before. Taking the points when they're on offer, I'm always, I'm always in favour of it. But Sam Warburton on commentary last night, who knows a hell of a lot more about everything than I do, <laughs> said he, you know, he liked the captaincy, liked the positivity. You hear other ex-pros and captains talk about the fact that you know it keeps you in that part of the field. Um, what are your thought? What are your thoughts on that? Are you a are you a take the points kind of man, or are you a kick for the corner? Yeah, take the points. I think in that that situation, the points had to be taken, didn't they? But 
yeah, I was slightly I was slightly surprised by by Warburton's comments there. I think you know he talks quite a lot, doesn't he, about the feel the feel on the pitch of the players. Um, the players have to have to back themselves, and only they know on the pitch what what what's really happening. But I think sometimes when you when you put emotion into into sort of decision making, whether that's rugby business, anything, you can make the wrong call. And so you've got to take the points on. You've got to take the points on offer. It's uh, I'd say rugby that every time. Business, anything is it? Are you trying to plug some kind of new podcast you're spinning off here? Is it Dan Killick's estate agent masterclass that we're expecting? Uh, we're expecting to be released. It soon? might be one popping up soon. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but you know, I, you know what I mean. When emotion, when emotions are high, you can, you can, it, 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 you can all, you can quite easily make the wrong decision. And I think that's where a cool, calm head just comes along and says, "Just slot the points, and we move on." And in fact, I mean, the, that makes a good point there in that no one has an emotion, no one out off the pitch will have an emotional barometer like the players do. So they can read mm-hmm. and often you can tell what the opposition, where their heads are at at the moment. So Scotland obviously sensed that there was a, a, a try opportunity there. And if they had scored it, it would have killed off the game completely. You got to appreciate that. Unfortunately, if you're going to make that emotional choice, what you have to do is be calm about it with the processes afterwards. And Scotland jumped the gun. Really, all they had to do was, if they were going to do that, all they had to do was hold on to it because it looked like another three or four phases they would have scored. It was inevitability because they were making forward progress as as short as it was. And by players crossing and running into each other, by two lads not talking to each other and going for the same ball, they killed it off. And really, it, all it was was a little bit of patience there because you saw little carries where it thought, oh, Sutherland's going to go over here. Oh, no, he's a little bit shy. Fine, there's going to be another opportunity. They didn't need to wing it and get the try, the, the match-winning moment right then and there, 48 minutes into the into the match. You know, So it's a bit, if you're going to make the emotional choice, if you're going to read the emotional flow of the game, be cool about it. And that was just really what was missing. And from then on, it's sort of, it was that snowball effect because then suddenly the emotion of a game changes like that. And when Liam Williams scores, that's it. The complexion of the game is very, very different. Well, it was. And I think the other flashpoint moment was the, was the sending off um, around whatever it would have been, 50, 55 or so minutes. Murph, is that a clear cut red card? Thanks very much for that pass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, the defender is bearing down on me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even know why. Some of the mitigation they were going on about was that uh, when Jones was standing up at the time, and that's why. But if he hadn't stood up, he'd have just hit him in the back of the head instead of the front of the head. I, I don't. Mm. I mean, every player on the pitch and everyone who's in rugby knows that that type of thing is likely to be punished in the harshest possible way. And they're all still doing it. Uh, you and I agreed last week that probably Scotland by seven ish was the result this week. And barring that incident, we probably weren't wrong. That's probably the way it would have gone if they'd have kept 15 men on the pitch. Um, that might be doing down Wales' finish. You know, the way they play in the last 20, they seem to play better than the last 20 at the moment. But it would have been much easier for Scotland, obviously, if they kept 15 men and much harder for Wales to. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, we struggled to beat Ireland last week. Yeah. We, I, I, we've just hung on by a point this week. And, you know, you, you have to you have to be honest. As much as I'm starting to get excited about, about our chances, you have to be honest that without without the two red cards, there, there was a very well-acknowledged tweak going around last night. We're three cards away from a grand slam after after the game last night, which I thought was very funny. And then, I know, that, that's why I ripped it off for my intro, if you were listening. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wanted to intention for your intro. Are you still in the toilet at that point? <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you were going to say something, Al? Well, just uh, it's just, you know, it's a game where you've got to learn on, rugby's a game where you've got to learn on your feet. And the thing is, is um, that all of these players will have had conversations with match officials before this tournament ever started. You know, like, well, the, the head coaches would have, you know, they'd know exactly what it is that the world rugby directives have been given to match officials for this. And we know that people have been trying to hammer, or that's, that's absolutely the wrong turn, turn of phrase there. They have been absolutely trying to get people to pay attention to potential contacts around the head and neck. Okay. Then you have a week before where it's stonewall, absolutely horrific challenge. Uh, where we get Peter Romani sent to the bin. 
fair enough, right? That's the lay of the land. We know exactly what it is. So we can um and ah about um what the about what the mitigating circumstances are, and that's great. And we've got a lot of ex professionals saying, Oh, I'd have got a lot of red cards if this was if this was that was in my day. Great, fine. The game moves on. We've got to accept what it is. And if we all understand that that's the lay of the land and we appreciate that the only way to make sure that the general public and everyone else learns these learns that this is what we're taking seriously, then you've got to keep hammering it. So we always can, we're always complaining until we're blue in the face that we want more consistency with referees. Now we've got it. You know, that's as consistent a message as we can possibly get. So if anyone in, in we've got a week off, if anyone the week after goes in, then guess what? You've been dumb enough to not learn from all these moments. You're going to get a red card. So did it change the complexion of the game? 100%. Will Zander Fagson feel aggrieved? Absolutely. It's because you're never going to get a rugby player that's going to go into that contact situation and go, ah, I'm a very competitive person and this might be on the halfway line, very close to the touchline and I'm coming from 10 metres away and he's already jackling. But I'll, I'll let it go. We'll let them have the turnover. Unfortunately, people don't think, don't think like that in the heat of the moment. Was it reckless? You have to say it was because it was 10 metres away. And, you know, if you want to slow it down or you want to analyse little bits, it, you know, there's the tucking of the arm. There's, you know, whether he was going to hit him on the back of the head, the front of the head or the back of the shoulder. And as he was coming up, it looks like he hit him on the shoulder and slid up. Great. We can argue all that. But at the end of the day, consistency of message from referees, no one should be doing that in round three. The, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd agree with I'd agree with what you've, you've all said there. I, I think the the two incidents a week apart are very different. I mean, the Omani one is just an active out and out stupidity and aggression. I can see... I can see with the Fagerson one where it's a, it's just a moment of of misjudgment. Um, and so I do feel some sympathy for him. Again, watching it, it is a red card. And you're right, everyone knows where things, where the, what the lie of the land is. But there does seem to be something for me that is so, so wrong with the breakdown area. When you look at earlier on that day where you've seen a horrendous injury to Jack Willis, so bad that they're not, they're not showing the... They're not... Um, repeating the, the the incident you know they're not showing the replays from a completely legal cleaning out point of view do you see what i mean i think we're just at the point where players are so exposed there that a defending player has to go over the top of the ball like that that is your job there to do but you are so exposed that either um you know a, a role like that can put your joints and your muscles under any kind of pressure and you're also completely exposed to um you know you're exposed with your head and the, the whole rest of your body. I just feel like that area is, is something that, that needs to be looked at in great detail. And Dan, do you have an answer for what the, the issues at the breakdown are? Um, I'm guessing you might not have one prepared, but... No pressure. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, what do you really think about that area? Because it, honestly, it does, it does worry me now, that, uh, the whole breakdown area. Yeah, it, it, it is a... It, it's quite messy, isn't it? I mean, on the on the, the Xander Ferguson, I it was a red letter of law. It's a red, isn't it? You, I felt sorry for him because it's it's so difficult to move anybody off the ball, isn't it? And you know, he at the moment talk about emotion again. It's it's split second, it's split second decisions, isn't it? And it's so. I think it is. It is easy to say, look, he you know he shouldn't have done it, and he and he shouldn't have, and it's it's cost. It's cost the team dearly, but I do. I can't help but feel feel sorry for them. I didn't feel sorry for uh, Omani at all. Totally yeah. different. But I did for, for Xander Ferguson. Um, but fair. yeah, that's um, the breakdown. It is a mess, isn't it? It almost feels like you know, you know, it's very high chance that someone's going to get a red card, or if if somebody looks at you know clearing somebody out in a in a different type of fashion. You're exposed to getting maybe a serious injury as well. So, but I don't. I don't honestly know what the answer is no. to that. Um, it's yeah. Al, Al, you've got. You might have something in there. Well, it's. I, I don't. I don't know what the answer is. But I can tell you what I don't think. What I don't think the answer is, and it's something. And this is a generational thing. I hear an awful mm. lot of people say, "You brought back shoeing." Uh, yeah. You know, you brought back. You know. Hashtag bring back rucking as if, you know, as if, as if raking someone with your studs is going to stop them because these guys are just incredible athletes. I mean, the flexibility is mind blowing that someone like Jack Willis can bring mm. to the game. So if we, I feel sorry for, I feel so a lot, very sorry for a lot of the players because 
they're hostages of the advancement of professionalism in this game. Because if you say, if you identify this as an area of the game where you can really steal a march on the opposition or really steal a march on by stealing the ball, and you've got these fantastic athletes who've worked very hard on their physique and their ability and their, their skill set around that area to get over. You're not, as I said earlier, you're not suddenly going to get guys analysing the situation and going, I'm just going to let him win that because that's not how these guys are wired. So it becomes an arms race. This arms race has now reached a stage where because we've not changed the laws, and in the magazine, in Rugby World magazine, we've had three years ago, I think, roughly, we had uh, a, a column from Ben Ryan saying, Crocodile Row is one of those areas of the game that's going to get more and more serious, mm. and we need to have a look at it now. I think a year before that, I wrote something myself in the magazine about this sort of the rams on roller skates. And to be fair, we've probably, anyone that's played at an amateur level, let alone the elite level, knows, and this is the hypocrisy of it all, we all love getting that one up on an opposition player. You know, when you forget getting a good clean shot on someone in, in defence or getting a, or bussing past them, there's also a sense of, God, you know, that clear out was unbelievable. I absolutely obliterated that guy. Absolutely class, fair play. And the thing is, is you've got that at the very highest level and then you've got guys at the cutting edge of the game who are unbelievable at stealing and no one's tweaking anything. You know, the, the guys who make the laws are not changing anything around that. Then suddenly it becomes a case of the arms race gets very much more serious and injuries are going to happen there. And we can slam people for the after effects. So if someone makes a collision to the head or someone pops a knee, they either go off via the, the stretcher or they go off because they've been red carded. What are we doing for the bit before that? You know, we shouldn't be having to just mop up the area at the end of the game. And it's a shame because, you know, from George Smith onwards, this has become something that's, incredible and you've got to take your hat off to these guys who have learned this skill and are the masters of it because th these guys are game winners in their own right when it's done right unfortunately it's got to the stage where something's going to have to be a casualty to the loss and this is the jack the area of the jackal is something that's going to have to be looked at because we're going to be talking about it all tournament long we see what the attrition rate has been wales versus ireland taking taking that incident out of it with the red cards the attrition rate was mind-blowing in that game mm. it's only continued through this week and six nations one of the one of the key indicators of who's going to win in the six nations now is who can keep the most healthy players on the pitch so to just bring it actually and okay we talked talked about that an awful lot but to bring this back to a positive going into next week the biggest positive for this wales team now heading into the third round with two wins under their belt is they've got a week off because their injury list is, mm. is pretty sizable now. So you've got to be pretty pleased that you've managed to take those two wins that, let's be honest, a lot of people weren't offering them uh, beforehand. And now they've got a chance to rest up. So that players like Alan Wynne jones who fantastic athlete that he is, probably looks like he was feeling it, but, you know, he gave away a few penalties against Scotland there and the team managed to hold on and he, he came off with 10 minutes to go and you thought, right, okay, what's Alan Wynne jones got in the next round? all these fantastic players the injury list that they've got they've now got an opportunity to recharge the batteries bloody hell they must be must be happy about that yeah yeah Murph you've um you've probably hit your fair share of rucks over the years what uh, <laughs> what would you like to add to the debate I, I just I just was going to say then uh my two penneth on the ruck or breakdown situation it is it, gradually over time just all happening too low hmm. like players physiques have changed uh, Alan touched on the few of the players there their physiques have changed they've become like uh, as flexible as gymnasts and kind of brazilian jiu-jitsu experts in the hip in particular like um i don't know if you ever saw footage of pocock pocock used to uh post videos of his training sessions and it would all be in a, in a gym uh, a gymnastics gym not all of it obviously there was weights involved as well but he would show workouts in an actual gymnastics gym where he was doing so much flexibility work that means people like Jack Willis is a great example. He's just so flexible and strong that he's probably like two foot off the ground when he's in that position. So everyone piling in, they they they, 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 they can't move him at all, or they're going to try and fly in so hard that they risk the Vegas and situation, hmm. or they're going for the roll. And then I mean, this is sec this is Willis's second time round with the same injury. Although there is, I just saw, uh, uh, I think it was the end of the Ireland France game just now on TV. They're saying the scan shows that it's not an ACL. Really? Uh, yeah, which is positive, but then that means it could be something even more gruesome, like a complete dislocation of his knee. I don't know, but uh, um, that was an upside. The, the only upside from Jack Willis's point of view is at the moment it's not an ACL, so we'll see what it is. 
and and just to go just to last words from me on this is that no one wants to take away the physical element of this game because that is what rugby is all about. It's a physical contest, and whoever comes out on top deserves to win. And no one wants to take away from that. So ugh, I'm going to hate when people come out of the woodwork with their games gone soft nonsense. It's not about that. You yeah. want to keep it as physical as possible. Yeah. But also, you just need to have a look at the laws to, to, to see what can make it safer for these guys so that they can go about things as physically as possible. Yeah, exactly. And the comparisons between, you know, between yesteryear just aren't helpful because, I mean, imagine doing this with any other sport. You know, it's bad enough if you try and compare, oh, you know, how would George Best have got on against today's modern defences? It's like, yeah, that's one thing to compare that. Imagine if you were dealing with an amateur sport to a professional sport. This has all happened in the last 25 years. You know, you've gone from people getting a couple of training sessions in a week uh, in the lead up to an international fixture to training day in, day out in gyms, making them, like you said, Alan, incredible, incredible athletes. You know, that's what we're dealing with here, you know, superhuman athletes. And and so the, the comparisons just aren't helpful. And any kind of harking back to the past, generally is down to the fact that we all look oh. back with rose-tinted glasses because... Is that me? Because, um, you know, because we're... Uh, because we want to, you know, we want to, we want to pretend we're younger again. Right. Let's uh, let's take a look at the uh, at the actual rugby um, outside of uh, outside of those big in- uh, incidents. Um, Dan, how do you feel that um, the the Pivac is is looking now? We've had a, a question in. Uh, this one was from Greg Sherrington. Does that secure Pivac's job? What do you think, Dan? I don't think it secures his job, but he's. You know he's um, he's doing some good stuff. Put it that way. I thought that was a. I'm absolutely delighted with that win. I've got to be honest. I I really am um, delighted with it. You know to get to score four tries away from home. Yes, I know there was a red card in there, but you know you, you can only you know we can only play against what we're playing against, can't we? And I thought that um, there's we're starting to show uh, you know a few elements of of how we're looking to play under Pivac. It's still messy. It's still choppy. There's a lot of errors in there. You know, if we look at, if we look at sort of meters run with ball, I mean, I've had a little look at the stats in Scotland, four, four, three meters against us, one, eight, four. Um, I know you don't like a stat, Jed, but it's worth having a little look at these. And then tackles made 213 by Wales to 105 Scotland. We're having to work very, very hard. Um, it's 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 not pretty for large parts, but then there are, there is some prettiness, there is some some tenderness to some of the some of the tries. And when we're you know when we're in try scoring positions, we're we're scoring a big part of that is down to 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 uh, Louis Rees-Samit. So we've got to take his hat off to him. But we're there's there's some really good positive elements. Line out went exceptionally well, didn't it? Bar the bar the dodgy first throw, scrums looking tight. And I, mm. I the big part for me where I've got to got to take uh, take our hats off to the coaching staff is to make those calls from off the bench were big big calls every single one of them I know there's a question on that later so I won't go into it too much but you know fair play to Pivak yeah I'm um, uh, got to take my hat off to him well yeah I, uh, yeah you're absolutely right and that is another one of the questions that we've had in which I think it might be worth uh, it might be worth touching on now if uh you can tell I'm obviously stalling while I find that question in front of me. But that one's from uh, from Daniel Pierce. Does Pivac deserve uh, a lot of credit uh, considering his decisions to switch nine and ten after fifty minutes? Is that a sign that he's capable of making game-winning decisions at international level? Uh, which one of you two chaps would like to take this one? Murph, do you want to ha- handle this one? Yeah, I don't mind. Um, well, he, I don't know if it was a brave call because they were actually playing really poorly. Uh, they were, weren't they? The starters. I mean. Uh, one of the weaknesses in my my own perception of uh, there's probably better qualified people to do this, but my one of my own perceptions of the weaknesses in Gareth Davis's game, he plays quite quiet. I, I always like scrum outs that are bossing all the time and chirpy and telling everyone where they want him to be and what they're doing. He always comes across that he's just kind of in his own bubble, and that can lead to the communication breakdown we saw in the first half a lot of the time where he was I think he was passing a um, back from a uh, ruck to for a clearance for you know into touch or whatever, and he hit the wrong player. Mm. Like that's that's really like division three my level kind of mistake. Um, 
And so, and and Dan Bigger, the same as last week, Dan Bigger just had big quiet periods in the in the game. I thought mm-hmm. so. It, although it, it worked out really well, I also think he, he didn't have too much choice because that partnership was not working uh, up until that point. So, no, it wasn't. Um, I mean, I think the, the interesting thing there, Dan, you've you know you've you've said that Wales were finishing their chances. I just think that with all of this, it's so so hard to gauge when you're playing against fourteen men each week and. You know, for Ireland, for Ireland, it was an hour, which is, you know, which is a huge period of time to play against it. For Scotland, it's a, you know, crucial part of the game. And I just think that it's like, you know, you know, I like to, to force another sporting analogy in here. And again, if I was looking at these as, as racehorses, right, in the lead up to, in the lead up to the Cheltenham Gold Cup, I'd be looking at, I'd be looking at this form from Wales and saying, I can't yeah. gauge because every time the favourite yeah. in the game has, has stacked it. Yeah, you know, a couple of handicappers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two good horses in the race, and and the and the decent one has has stacked it, and it's it's just so hard to gauge because you go, oh yeah, the line out went well and they finished quite well, but it's so you, you know against 14 men, it's such a big difference for me. The acid test is next week. If you get a win against England, then then that's that that is something. Regardless of whether there's a degree of luck in these two, if you've been able to build on it and actually get a result there, that's what it, that's what it all comes down to for me. I think we, we were, the thing is we were starting from such a low point though. So we were on, you know, no, no one would have thought that we would have got two wins mm. to start with. And we, we've got them. That's a fact. There aren't, you know, there, there's two W's there. And I, I think the confidence is, confidence is, is, an, is an incredible thing. We didn't have any of it We've, you know, we've made we've made some big, big errors throughout the autumn with with selections. You know, potentially we're still making those errors, but we're starting to right a good few of the wrongs. I think Gethin Jenks has had a big, big impact on the on the defence. Is still is still still a bit leaky, but there's some real positives I think coming coming forward. Um, and yeah, we're winning. We're winning pretty pretty ugly, aren't we? Um, I think you know some people say that's a sign of a good side. We're not. We're not. We're not a good side, you know, just yet. But I honestly think we can't be anything other than delighted at the moment with with how things are going. And you know, you throw the injury list in there. It's you know twenty one. It's you know, it's it's a good place to be. Good place to be. Alan, I, I guess you would. You know, you'd be able to offer us a bit more of a. A neutral. We're talking about emotion at the top of the at the top of the show. You can tell it's creeping in with all. Of I've lost head. it. Yeah, where <laughs> Dan's Dan's head's gone at uh, gone. twenty minutes into the show. Where do you where do you think uh, Wales are right now? How much would you be able to read into where they are from those first two games? Well, obviously, it, it's funny we talk about emotion. It's firstly if we look at this this tournament and what it's like without fans. Now, obviously, emotion is a big thing. Um, the next game that Wales play is against someone you, you might know quite well. They're called England and you've got a better <laughs> relationship with them. That with that fixture without a crowd is going to be interesting. Um, if only because, and I, how much you want to read into this, I don't know too much because you've always got Italy in the mix, but four games out of six so far in this Six Nations have been won by the away team. Mm. So emotion is something to, to pay attention to and whether Wales, what Wales can do at home, hunkering down after a couple of good wins, uh, positivity in the camp, hopefully some guys coming back with injury, you'd like to think that everything would be sort of on an upswing. And that's a great thing to take into a test match against England, the team that you're fired up to face more than anyone else. In terms of where Wayne Pivak is, I think it kind of ties in with the, the last question you asked, actually, about um, these, these well, part of the same question, about these what it shows with these guys that they brought on after 50 minutes, because there was a real change in tactics where they came. And emotion with Callum Sheedy in particular is a guy I've spoken to a fair few times um, of late, and I've always been struck by how positive a guy he is in general. And some of the touches that he used around the park just felt a little bit different. They just felt like the kind of rugby you should be playing when you're on the front foot against a team with a man down. And there were little moments that didn't quite come off. There was a, a he tried to put a kick down into the right hand corner that didn't quite roll out. Stuart Hogg was under pressure, and the bounce was so odd that actually it meant that he could get it down and get a, win a dropout twenty two because he won the race against Reece Samet. And those little things didn't quite work out perfectly but it's an interesting one to see where those guys go because Hardy, Sheedy and Halaholo 
You know, we've got mm. guys on their debut. We've got guys with just a tiny, a small handful of caps who have only known Test rugby under Wayne Pivak. That's probably a good thing for Pivak at this point because the the biggest cross to bear for him has always been the comparisons with the Gatland era, and he's inherited an awful lot of players from the Gatland era, and he's been trying to bed in a style that is entirely of his own. Some would say. Um, harem scare them and a bit disjointed at this point in time because we, it's very choppy because they don't quite have that sense of identity yet with the, the whole group. It's going to help possibly if these guys come to the fore because they can carry forward the, the pivot vision. Um, of course, the picture completely changes if you lose against England at home because, you know, a, a large part, that is the yardstick that a lot of people measure the Six Nations by is, is how they do against England who on paper should really be everyone. Um, but as, as uh, at least I can say, Scotland showed that they, you can beat them uh, the week before. And I wouldn't say that England were exactly playing smooth, flowing, creamy stuff against Italy <laughs> when they were when they were going forward. So uh, really, it's it's about regathering and seeing. Be, you're right; it's fascinating, and I don't have the answer. I don't know if he's going to go right. I'm going to hand the reins to these guys, but certainly things look different with, in particular, with Hal Hall in that midfield. One of the interesting things, actually, was um, during that game, there was the moment where Wales had been warned twice at the scrum. So Scotland, again, it was an emotional thing where Scotland read the game. They read how Matt Carley was going uh, as referee and they thought, OK, we can maybe see if we can get a penalty try here or we can get a, maybe a sin binning for Wales. Pivak changed it up and he brought on Leon Brown in the front row. Now, that was at the point, and this is a concerning thing for Wales because a man down... Stuart Hogg still managed to run an outside arc and score his second try of the game. That's a, that's a, an issue, and you've got to. And whilst you could say that Owen Watkin made up for it later in the game with his tap tackle on Duan van der Merwe that ultimately won the game, really. Um, you know, it was a it was a moment where he got, oh, how did he go there? So that was a positive in that the he, he, he identified an issue and he said, yep, yeah, we can fix that up. And the scrum went a little bit better, albeit they conceded a try. Um, that try is not a good one to concede, but he can completely mix up the midfield in the next game if he wants. I don't know if that's what you guys want. Who who would like to see Willis Halaholo start the next game for Wales? Well, we'll find out the answer to that after this very, very, very quick break. Right, it's not often I get an opportunity to, to throw in a perfect cliffhanger, but just before the break, you will have heard there, Alan, giving us the, the one of the big questions that I think we all we all want to answer is is does Halaholo get get straight into this side? Murph, I know you're keen to, to give us your opinion on this. Halaholo straight in for the England game? I just think uh, along with Leon Brown, who Alan just mentioned, who caught my eye because he seemed to have put some timber on him. And mm. I know it's very basic, but that really helps with the scrummaging because scrummaging has been a bit of an issue with Leon and uh, not an issue, but not his strongest suit. And if he's got that extra bit of ballast there, he did scrummage really well when he came on. So that was good. And going back to Willis, which is the actual question, um, he stood out a mile. I, I, he just, I don't know, it, it's going to be a problem. Alan alluded to it, it's going to be a problem in a fortnight's time because it looks like George will be fit, George will not be fit. Rumoured Jonathan Davis might be fit, although he'll have to play this weekend if he's going to be considered for an international mm. game. Uh, and then the, the two that started this week weren't injured. So, and then if you throw in Halaholo, they got some serious decisions to make. But whatever he decides on, I don't think, even if he doesn't pick Halaholo, he's still got to be on the bench after the way he played off the bench this week. So, um, yeah, and I, Johnny Williams has been everyone's favourite to take over as 12, but based on half an hour, admittedly, of Halaholo. My wife can't help but call in Hullo Blue on uh, <laughs> yesterday. Uh, he, he just looked at home. I mean, he, he did. He, I don't know how much credit other people have given him, but he, he put uh, Reece Amit in space for the try. He got a turnover. There was another There was another uh, link-up play he did. I think he linked up for the Liam Williams try as well with Callum Sheedy. Just neat and tidy. And I, I know it it's harking back to Hadley Parks, who no one else seemed to um, rate much, but he just is, does everything neat and tidy and therefore makes everyone around him look good. And that's what you want, really. Not, obviously, there's other roles to play, but quality players like that just make everyone around him look better. And that's what seemed to happen when Halaholo was on the pitch yesterday. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because the centre is just an area that, like you say, this week we were completely down to bare bones and, and Halaholo getting, you know, whatever it was, two training sessions in before uh, before getting on the bench and coming on and having a blinder. I, I think, it, you know, the Nick Tompkins form will will rule him out, I think. He, he's just looking... I, I still think he's, a, you know, he's an excellent player, but something's just not quite right there. I don't know whether it was just the kind of exploding onto the scene last year, then finding out, you know, some of the harsh lessons of playing at 13 in international rugby, uh, which, you know, I I think he's better at 12 anyway. Um, So I think that, I don't know whether that had a dent on his confidence, everything that was going on at Sarri's, then going to the Dragons, which, you know, is is very, very difficult to to shine in, in that side because you don't get a lot of ball. But I think he's, he, he is looking a bit lost at the moment. And, and and I think would benefit from would probably benefit from from sitting out of it um, and and you know again hopefully getting a, a decent run of games for the Dragons in the the latter part of the season. Uh, Dan, where are you? Where, where's your head at in terms of centre selections? Yeah, I thought well, I thought Halahola had a had a had a big game. Um, I kind of kind of almost knew he would do as soon as as soon as his name was on the uh, you know in in the squad there for me. I would actually keep him on the bench. I think that it could work in in our favour in terms of he's a box of tricks. He's very, very difficult to defend. And I think he'd be a real point of impact coming in off the bench. I'm really tempted to start him, but I would just hold him back, keep him, keep him in that um in that bench position. And um, you know, I'm excited to see him. Uh, come on with, um, uh, you know, with a with a sort of straight running, uh, straight running, um, straight running centre with him. And I think for Wales, he's so important because we're struggling to make meters, aren't we? We're mm-hmm. struggling to to make yards. Um, there's not a lot of offloads happening. It's it's a little bit sort of stop start and staccato. We struggled with with phases, although we built. We actually, you know, built built a, uh, more than we have done yesterday. Certainly over the Island game. So I actually think he's going to be really important to us, and his and his defence is good as well. But I, I against England, I think we could play into their hands a little bit if we do start him and give them that. Um, they may not be able to build a sort of uh, build a way of of defending against him and build that into their play. Whereas having him on the bench um, could be a little weapon for us. It could be, yeah. You mentioned there, Murph, that he. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously created some of that space for uh, for the Lewis Reesamit try, which uh, well, sorry the, the the second the the particularly spectacular one. Um, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to kind of to bring it up because that was a moment of absolute uh, of absolute magic. Um, yeah. Again, that leads that leads on to more kind of selection selection dilemmas. Um, and this one is from Matt Cornelius. How hard is it going to be for Josh Adam to get back into the starting fifteen now? Uh, if so. You know who out of Liam or or Halfpenny would you would you sacrifice to do it? Are you asking me? Yeah, go on. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, I I am one. you know I am going to I mean obviously Louis Rissam has got to hold his place, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got a lot of people to squeeze into two spaces after that into two two selections. So, um, how much uh, credit in the bank has Josh Adams got with the coaching staff and the selectors? I don't know. I mean, you'd, you'd probably argue a fair amount less than than this time in the autumn. Just you know, I know, I know it's an off the field thing, but it's just something that you know we spoke about it when it happened a fortnight ago. But it's just something that that creates um, it creates problems for the squad. And if you make a decision like that, you know, well, I would I would argue that one of the other two positions is definitely going to be Liam Williams. Yeah. It's just a matter whether he's on the other wing or if he's at fullback. And it if he if he if he doesn't, if he's got no uh, feeling towards Josh Adams, then it'd probably be the same back three that started this week. But there's, I mean, there's there's so many people putting their hand up and and, and being in contention in, in kind of the the back five of the of the team now from twelve to fifteen. That um, who knows? I I I'd lean towards him picking the same back three. I, I um, would love to, I would love to see if 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 Josh Adams comes straight back into the squad and is with them. By the time it comes to revealing the starting team to play against England, I'd love the Wales coaching staff to do it in the in the style of uh, gender reveal party. So maybe probably <laughs> 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 has the team name on it, or or loads of cupcakes that have got the name of all the starters. 
something like that, you know. We'd, we'd just <laughs> and, then, and then most importantly, post it on social media so everyone can see what you've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah that is a fantastic idea. A back three reveal party. That's it. But, but I mean, it's you're right. It comes down to how much money in the bank they've got. But speaking as a as a neutral. You know, when, when folk were talking about this game against Scotland and people were saying to me, oh, Wales have got loads of injuries. The one thing that I kept saying to people was Liam Williams is back. Mm. One of those things where he's always going to offer something slightly different. And, um, you know, he's, he's almost the he's almost like the, the one of the biggest secret weapons in the game because you look at the guy and you're like, how can he possibly do the things that he does? It just doesn't <laughs> seem to make any sense. But, I mean, I, I remember when we first did a feature interview with him years ago now, and one of the one of the quotes that came from him was, I look like a cricket, but I hit like a hurricane. And it was, it was you know, that's exactly how he plays his game. Now, sometimes he goes a bit too far, um, but he... Um, you know, it, I just think he's always has to be in the mix. And, you know, okay, Lee Halfpenny went off in the game and, you know, he, he has that history of injuries that he'll always have. And there was a slight error when he slid in for Stuart Hogg's first try when um, he slid in to try and, you know, which is a very difficult skill to do. He was retreating and he was trying to slide in to get a kick ahead. And, it, you know, it just knocked it further into um, him and Reese Samet sort of collided with each other and just the the seas parted and Stuart Hall could go in for his first try which is you know I'm not gonna I don't think you can blame him too much for that but Lee Halfman is just one of those guys that's just very bankable at the back with a lot of the stuff he does so if Josh Adams does come in it's that old cliche of we'll we'll see what they do in training he's got to have a hell of a training stint to to break through to this back three because I don't see why you'd want to change too much with it no no I, I you know I We've been talking about some of the off-the-field stuff there. We know what a quality finisher Josh Adams is. We know he's a you know, he's a, a fantastic player and has put in some f- phenomenal performances for Wales. So, again, you know, you, you, I would very be very much surprised if that door is closed. But like Murph said, there is a lot of a lot of competition there. The thing I think it will come down to, I'd be keen to get your take on this, Dan, is if you're looking to make a change at halfback, uh, based on the fact that, that Dan Biggers had a couple of bad games and. And perhaps uh, Callum Sheedy is starting to, you know, starting to to edge up on him in that regard. I think if you do change Sheedy, it means you have to pick Halfpenny. I just think that you you have to have either Halfpenny or Bigger on the pitch for for goal kicking. I, I think that they are. It's that particularly in the game against England, it's that important that you've got two of the best goal kickers in the world. You have to pick one of them because it could keep you in the game at some point. What do you reckon to that reasoning? Yeah, I think a lot of the selection is going to come down to that. Yeah, who's going to who's going to kick? Um, Sheedy, you know, Sheedy is a good kicker, isn't he? But he's not uh, a proven international uh, Test match kicker, is he? So it's very different, isn't it? Kicking for kicking for Bristol. I actually think in this game that I thought Lee Halfpenny had a had a you know he made three errors, unchar- uncharacteristic errors, you know. I don't know whether he's made three errors in his whole career. You know, um, you know how, bit, how much of a big fan I am. I think against England, I'd, I'd want to see him start in there again. I know there's question marks over what he offers an attack, but I just think that the the threat that England could offer, um, really, I've, I feel that um, I'd go with go with half penny, and um, I would also stick with uh, with bigger at ten in this game. Because, oh, yeah. um, because I like I like the fact that um, Sheedy, there's there's something about Sheedy and Hardy coming off where, um, you know, if we need to create something, I I can't see us I can't see us because um, the other option is we put we put bigger uh, bigger on the bench and have Sheedy start and I don't think we'll be um, we'll be leading against England you know and then we'll bring on we'll bring bring on bigger to see out the game so I think that because of that we need to the the, the team will be much of a muchness, but with a tweak in the in the centre. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I think I think you could well be right. As you know, I was a big fan of bringing Bigger off the bench when when Anscombe was playing at 10, because I think that so often under Gatland, we went into those final 20 minutes in such a good position that bringing Dan Bigger on, it just it shored everything up. Just from a mentality point of view, the guy is exactly who you want on the field in the last 20 because he doesn't, he generally doesn't make bad decisions and he's a great goal kicker and 
he, you know, has just has such belief in himself that I think it, it lifted the rest of the team. But I agree. I think we're in a different we're in a different situation now. Let's have a look at the opposition, though. Obviously, uh, another well, a, a first win of the tournament for England as they as they beat Italy. What did you make of that one, Alan? Again, just a, it felt it felt like it, there wasn't necessarily that much to be learned from that game. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's always going to come be hard after such a crushing defeat in the in the first round. Um, but uh, you know, they, they got the job done. Uh, you know, there were some flashes from Italy, but let's be honest, the, the, the result was exactly as people expected it w- it would be. I think that the the biggest concern is okay when the pressure came on England after that result against Scotland. What they did is instead of a lot, what a lot of fans wanted was for them to throw caution to the wind because it was Italy they were playing against and try an awful lot out and see, try out new combinations, new players, give hand new caps out, see who's see who can really do it, which is really not Eddie Jones' style. You know, when you're backed into a corner, Eddie Jones likes to have no have his measurables, what he can rely upon. So we saw a very familiar midfield axis. You know, after so many years of the Eddie Jones project, is that really what England need at this point going to new, the new World Cup cycle? If we're going to buy into this cliche of World Cup cycles, is this really what England needs? Probably not. Is it reliable? Well, at points, it wasn't as reliable as you would have thought it should have been. I mean, one of the moments that stuck out for me was Ben Young's chucking a pass um, that hit off a completely flat and blocking line of... Um, of um, I've just drawn a complete uh, Ford George Ford and the, it, things just didn't really seem to click as much as they should have so there was quite a few balls that skidded off the deck for England and it's like if you're going to go back to these reliable measurable things then you need then there should be a lot more fluency than that on the flip side though England are a completely different team when you've got the front row changes that they had and when you can bring in a Marco Vunipola, albeit, you know, not been fit for that long, but Kyle Sinclair, these guys make a complete difference. And to be honest, the, the variation to their game that they can bring up front has been a real difference maker at the top end of the level. When you've got guys like that playing for an England team, and when you've got a fired up Billy Vunipola, and I don't buy into all this stuff about Billy Vunipola's physique because I don't think you can read too much into that completely. It's about motivation with him because, let's be honest, he always he's always looked like this. And when he's on form, he has been absolutely, utterly devastating to play against. So when you've got those three guys completely motivated and in your starting team, it transforms the complexion of a game. And it means that you can free up someone like Courtney Laws or Mario Torji to storm about and do the kind of things that they love. And that's that's where the concern is. So it's always going to be a get out of jail free card for England when their forwards are on song. And at the end there, it's what can they do? And if we're going to play a game of complete pragmatism, who comes out on top? England or this Wales team who have, have, have managed to string a couple of games together and are confident? I suppose that's the big question really going into it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it comes down to the fact that, again, this is where the last two games are misleading because you've had you've had a man down in each of the each of the opposition games, providing England can keep fifteen on the pitch. <laughs> the the problems that Wales have had under Pivac is they've been smashed up front, and and that's the thing that England do well. You know they, uh, I mean it, it was bizarre the the Scotland game. I've never seen them play that bad. I don't think under anyone, uh, even Andy Robinson. I think uh, you know I think that was, I think that was their their worst performance that you know in in a very very long time and the strange thing was in the first five minutes they had nothing but front football and then they spent the rest of the game kicking it away to Scotland now I can't imagine they're going to make that mistake again against Wales if they get that front football and again this could be a Wales back row without uh, and again the the back row was phenomenal Tipperick and Tipperick and Falatau were just exactly the incredible performances that, that we come to expect from them over the years but if we can't, you know, if, it, if it's a back row without Navidi in there, then I think it could be a really, really difficult day at the office uh, if, if England get front football because they won't need to do anything too difficult. They'll get penalties, they'll get territory, they'll get possession, they'll rumble over the line. And, and I think it could be quite routine, which, you know, is pessimistic. But I don't know, that's, that's, that's why I can't read too much into the, into the last couple of games. What are your thoughts on that, on those ramblings of mine, Murph? Uh, well, with, with England, when, whenever they got uh, 
both Funipolas and Tuolagi, and to some extent uh, Kyle Sinclair, all fitting on the pitch. It's really hard to stop them getting over the gain line. You know, if they use those runners well, you're going to be on the back foot a lot. That's what they did. In, that's exactly what they did to New Zealand in the World Cup uh, mm-hmm. semi-final. Uh, was that 15, 16 months ago now? And um, and and then and then the problem is when they haven't got all those. If like for example, they only had Billy against Scotland, they run out of ideas because they can't fall back on the the very simple option of giving it to this massive beast outside you, let him go over the game line, and you just constantly gaining yards all the time. So and and that's the you know the, the Warren ball thing they used to get leveled at um, Gatland. And Wales back in the day is never more apt now than for England because once you strip away their ball carriers, they really do struggle for ideas. They go, they tend to just want to do crossfield kicks all the time. Um, when it comes to us, they, they're going to have they're going to have everyone except Tuolangi there, by the looks of it, and it's going to be hard, especially since we're used to playing against fourteen and not fifteen. Having said that, Alan Wynne Jones does live rent free in Carl Sinclair's head. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what might happen on the day? I mean, they, they've got it in them, but uh, it's, sooner or later, we're going to have to beat 15 men, isn't we? And it just so happens that it'll be a really big 15 men all dressed in white in a fortnight's time. So. We do. As, uh, as Alan said, though, it's, you know, the, the England game is different and, and those cliches do kind of apply. And even when Wales have been utter crap, they have turned up, you know, they always, there, there is always a degree of extra effort for for the England game, or it, it, you know, it, it seems that way, and I, I don't think it's hard not to be. Dan, do you think that you know that that, that or a pivot tactical masterstroke, or even just England not being able to get that physical dominance, can you see any of those any of those outcomes being likely in, in Cardiff in a fortnight? You you are very much the voice of optimism on the show. Well, if we if we look at the the Scotland England game, I I I know a lot of. There's a lot of chat of uh, England, you know, it's the worst England have played. I actually think that that Scotland did did a complete job on them and didn't allow them to play. I thought tactically they were they were it was an absolute masterclass. Steve Tandy, uh, all of them were, were were brilliant and completely shocked um, shocked England. So I think from a Welsh perspective, you know, we can we can look at that and think if we can get. If we can get on top of them up front, then we're really, we're really in the, we'll be really in the game. And I know that's an, an obvious thing to say, but I, I, yes, you know, you've got, you've got to sort of, you've got to be wary of England. But I do think that we can have a real go at them up front. I thought that that was a big performance from our pack against uh, against Scotland. They're they're a very very good outfit, and uh, you know, some there were some huge performances as as you pointed out earlier. Tipperick was just absolutely phenomenal. Falatau's getting better and better. Um, I thought Wainwright had uh, had had a sort of okay game, a few dod- few dodgy moments, but we might see a change there. Adam, Adam Beard was a huge plus for me. I thought he was brilliantly physical. Was a re- was a real nuisance. Started to, to to dish it out a little bit, and and that's what we need. And and Ken was. You know, Ken and, and um, uh, you know, Wynne Jones were just were just brilliant. And so I think I think there's a lot to take to take from that. If we then look at the England in the backs, I still think that back three has uh, has errors in them. As the daily daily is not comfortable, but you have to make him turn. You have to kick sensibly. The worry is we haven't kicked well. So our kicking at the moment has been really, really poor. And we've got to change that. And if we can change that and, um, you know, and, and work on that side of it tactically and get the forwards really fired up, I think we're really in for uh, for a good chance. Yeah, of course, we will be previewing that game in a lot more detail next week. So make sure you stay tuned to us. And if you're not subscribed, then make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. There was, of course, one more game this weekend as France edged past Ireland in a wet and windy Dublin. Uh, we were saying before we turned the microphones on, Al, that it perhaps wasn't the spectacle that we'd all hoped for. It wasn't, but there were there were you know there were a few moments in there. Um, uh, for, well, firstly, France won in Dublin for the first time in ten years, so you've got to take your hats off to that. It wasn't France did that thing where we were all 
again, they were playing against Italy last week, but we were all sort of eulogising the way that they've been playing. And obviously, Antoine Dupont, he, if Aaron Smith says you're the best player in the world right now, you've got to pay attention to that. And um, certainly, there's all things seem to be coming up roses for him at the moment. There was a point where he got the ball against Ireland um, on, a, on a short run and was managing to brush off tacklers and hand off people and keep hold of the ball, which is just bananas considering some of the physical specimens he was going up against. But that's the way he's playing at the moment. But France did what they needed to get over the line. Um, the, the, big, the big plus point for them is, uh, apart from winning away from home and having a record of, you know, having two away wins in well, uh, sorry, having an away win. Yeah, two away wins, uh, which is fantastic for them and they're rolling in now, is that the the biggest plus point for them in the, in the game that we've just seen is that they were a man down and they came out of that 10-minute period seven points to the good mm. because, uh, you know, they denied they denied um, James Lowe, thought he'd gone in for a corner. Um, Gail Fiku came in for an absolutely incredible... He didn't make the tackle. He was the guy that pushed James Lowe's uh, feet into touch ensure that it wasn't a try and then picking up a skidded pass or a bounce pass as we might want to call it uh, and put and putting the telling pass in to put Charles Olivon in for a try phenomenal return for a 10 minute period that's the kind of god what's what's the horrible phrase that Jurgen Klopp, Klopp uses mentality monsters that was that horrible phrase that he used but actually you know it's a sign that this is a we're going to have to bury a lot of the chat that we've been using about you know Scotland didn't do enough to banish the horrible chat that we've had for 10 years about them. But France are doing everything they can to banish the horrible chat that we've had about them for 10 years because they are winning games without doing playing particularly well or they can turn it on. So it's it was enough to put away a very physical Ireland team and they'll be happy with that away from home. There were some not great moments, but you know they did just enough. And that's probably a pretty scary thing, I'd imagine. And if... Heaven help whoever's going to, oh, wait, it's Scotland that are going to Paris next. So, yeah, I mean, it, I hate that phrase intriguing, but, it, you know, there's there's a lot of good narratives in that one. And at least we can rely on the fact that Scotland were the team that, the only team that beat them last season. So that's a good thing. Gail Fiku, by the way, I don't, you know, I don't watch as much uh, as much French rugby as, uh, as perhaps you gents might, but have I missed the point where he's turned into Brian O'Driscoll over the ball? Like, <laughs> like he's always been a, a you know lovely runner, a lovely runner to watch. But I, I thought he looked great. Like he was, he was jackling over uh, over things that were that I thought he, he had no right no right to. I was um yeah, and and again the the defensive stuff to um to put Lowe into touch and James Lowe another one. This I I could watch James Lowe you know for all the the talk about kicking. I find it so entertaining because his kicks either go ten meters or. 80 meters it's you know it's, it's, it's i think there's a brilliant drinking game in this you know it's <laughs> if his uh, yeah if, if his kicks get yeah if his kicks go 10 meters everyone's got to see off their drink and if it goes 80 meters you don't um but yeah probably not the most exciting game but actually i think i think it was pretty spirited from ireland again given the fact that they were out there you know without sexton who is as we said before, almost to a point of a flaw, they 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 go to man. Well, they weren't they weren't really without section because he was the water carrier coming on and speaking to them and breaks in play. So there was there was always. I mean, some of them must must check round corners when they're going around the hotel just to check that he's not there because he always seems to be there. But yeah, spirited is exactly what it was, and you know the difference is. I mean, Ireland. We, you don't want to patronise anyone because. One of the best things about Ireland last week is that they came after playing an hour with a man down. We're still so close to winning that game against Wales last week. And again here, they were just so close. But there's just something about this iteration of Ireland at the moment. And it's why we're going to have so many serious discussions about what the contingencies are for them going forward and what their, the makeup of their squad looks like, because they're just not quite getting over the line yet. Um, but then again, they've got Italy next, and uh, you know, everyone sort of sees the Italy fixture in the Six Nations as the reset. If you have an absolute stinker the week before, it's fine. We'll put things right against the Italians. Yeah, well, again, like, so much of this comes down to uh, comes down to the lack of the lack of crowd as well. You know, I think so many of these fixtures would have been very, very different with with crowd. You know, it would have been tougher for Scotland, so much tougher for Scotland, even. As brilliantly as they played against uh, against England to go into that final ten minutes with a packed out Twickenham, same for Wales in uh, at Murrayfield, 
and I, mean, I just can't help but think actually that with if Ireland were turning up in it, it is in Rome, is it? That fixture. The, the next one, yes, it's in yeah. It's in, yeah. yeah I, I can't help but think if Ireland were turning up there with, with you know no wins from two in a you know in, in a packed stadium, perhaps the Italians would be would be really fancy in that one. So it, you know it's a again another very very strange year for um, for the tournament. Right, Dan, I want you to finish on this one. This is our last uh, the last question we're going to tackle. It's a slightly left field one. Was the best Welsh scrum half playing for Italy this weekend? That one courtesy of John Davis. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's a nice, nice one. Um, I don't think so, but he—I really like the look of him. I think he's—he's uh, quality, isn't he? You—you uh, you were talking about him, weren't you? A good, um, what was it? A good few months ago, really, and hoping that the Welsh management would uh, were listening to the podcast and would have a, would have a word. He. He looks sharp, doesn't he? And he looks, I think the, the big thing is he looks to offer something a little bit different. Mm. I like, yeah, I I just like his, um, he looks so assured for a 19-year-old, for a 19-year-old bloke. And again, you're not playing behind a particularly dominant pack there. I think he's he's got a, an awful lot about him. Uh, and, Did yeah, we miss like, the trick? Yeah, 100%. You know, yeah. look, if we, in, in the autumn, we were bringing, we were bringing Lloyd back, you know, and, and again, much as I like Lloyd, as you, as you know, you know, would it have been better to get to cap a guy who has a chance of playing for playing for Wales over the next ten years over bringing back, uh, you know, over bringing back some uh, some other players who are, who are perhaps only going to be fringe players going forward? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think Steve Varney could get under caps for Italy quite easily, and um, and he's you know, and he, he look, you know, he looks he looks very very comfortable at international rugby, albeit in a in a side that struggled. So yeah, I I do think we've missed a trick, but uh, yeah. You know, that's it. It's gone now, isn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. It's even more impressive when you think of the 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 pack that he's he's got in front of him as well. Mm. It's a really difficult place to be, isn't it? As a nine with with a pack that's um, there's quite often you know on the back foot or a little bit untidy here and there, and he's uh, he's he's doing he's doing a solid job, isn't he? And especially at his at his age, and and you know he's. Very inexperienced, isn't he, at, at that level? So, yeah, doing uh, doing a good job so far. What you, what you can't discount is obviously the the relationship that he has with Paolo Garbisi uh, mm-hmm. at the halfbacks for Italy. And obviously, they played age grade together, uh, coming up to the age grade ranks for Italy, and very much loves his, his Italian heritage. And and those two, I mean, if you say that he could get hundred caps for Italy, it's great to be able to say that we'll see potentially see that halfback pairing. Go for go on for years and years because that's what you want to see from from Italy in in, in these major events is something bankable where you go we go on and I, I think um I think it was Brian O'Driscoll at the weekend was saying you know whatever you think of the last couple of results Garbisi is a hell of a player mm. and you know there was <laughs> there was a moment where I felt from in that game against England where um, the interception was thrown to Anthony Watson and Watson haired in from about 85 metres out and Garbisi, bless him, he was chasing after him and he threw his head back and you could see he was absolutely knackered and he was like, oh, I just have to keep going here. But, <laughs> you know, the, the, the glimpses that we've seen are fantastic and a, a lot of people have said about Italy that it's about, you know, it's it's no longer about the promise and building for the future. We need to see something something tangible now. And I suppose the thing is, is that in attack, we're seeing quite a lot from Italy and they scored some really good cr- tries against England. It's just the defensive side of things. They really need to start sticking things and holding their structure for eight, nine phases and, and winning winning those collisions because, you know, that's what we all want to see is because I, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm bloody hell, I'm sick of hearing people talk about kicking them out of the Six Nations for something as if the alternative's any better. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, this again. We we haven't got we haven't got time to go into this now. But uh, I did tweet yesterday that I think they should be granted a lifetime stay for that anthem alone. Like just every <laughs> every time I hear it, it's just such a thing of beauty, um, and it, it makes me think I really should I really should learn the words to that at some point. I, I, really I will I will I will say though that is one of the weirdest things about empty stadiums is watching the players who are suddenly more self conscious about their singing being caught on camera, so they're a bit more muted. Obviously, that's not the case for Wales when they were were, were belting it out. But I was watching guys today with with, um, with some of the anthems and going, "Oh, you're a bit you're a bit more self conscious than I thought you would have been." Anyway, look that the uh, the last hour has absolutely flown by. Thoroughly enjoyed that, chaps. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, a big thank you to the mighty Murph. 
to Daniel Killick and uh, to our special guest this evening, Alan Dimmick. Thank you very much. Uh, and thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get yourself some top quality coffee, you can do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk. You'll also be supporting a fantastic Welsh business uh, run by our good friend Scott Otten, the Ospreys hooker. And um, he's about, he's, I think I keep joking with him, he's about fifth or sixth choice now. So, uh, you know, he's invested so much time into his coffee that you've you got to get on there and support him as well. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll be catching up with Scott again soon. Uh, but that is it for this week. We'll be back next week to preview the England game. And uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you do get the chance, please leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, or wherever you get your podcasts. But we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.